It's the Snazzy Lifestyle with Keisha B and Tamisha Miller, Mondays at 6 a.m. Hey, it's Keisha B and Tamisha Miller on the Snazzy Lifestyle podcast. Today we have Brianna Calderon. Did I say that right? Yep, you said it right. Oh my gosh! (laughs) (laughs) Bronx bound. So, I see you born and raised in the Bronx. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Brianna. I am born and raised in the Bronx. I still live here, so I haven't left. I don't intend on leaving (laughs) anytime soon. Something about New York City, just when you think you've had enough of it, it just pulls you back in. So I'm a lifer up in here. Um, Yeah, I'm from the Bronx. I am a therapist. I currently work uh, virtually and I do one day in person. So I do go to um, a Midtown office for my company and see some people who want to be doing get back to in-person therapy so I do that but I do do most of my sessions virtually Um, and my specialty is OCD and OCD related disorders anything that kind of falls under the umbrella of OCD anxiety stuff like that Um, so yeah I'm just a local Bronx teletherapist working out of her home amazing so what made you become a licensed therapist um, so I'll be 100% honest. I wanted to be a medical examiner originally. I was in college for like pre-med and then at some point you just realize like I'm not gonna spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on medical school. Power to all the people who are able to do that and who get scholarships and push themselves through it or pay for themselves to get through it. I could not have done it. So I kind of rerouted and was like, I still want to stay within the sciencey field but not like I don't want to be a biologist anymore because there's just too much for me to supplement in my college education so I went the psychology track um, and just kind of took it from there I went to grad school in Long Island um, SUNY Old Westbury and yeah I just kind of took it from there it was not really something that was on my plan it was like not on my five-year plan um, but it worked out the way it worked out and I'm actually really happy the way it worked out because I don't think that I would have been a been happy um, going to medical school and trying to be a medical examiner. And at this point, this month, March 2023, I can say I'm pretty happy where I'm at. Awesome. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. It wasn't easy. I wasn't always happy, but today I'm happy. <laughs> right. That is amazing. So what is um, mental health and what do people misunderstand about mental health? Yeah. So I think that mental health people think that not everyone has mental health and what I usually say is like you have a brain so you have mental health just like you have a body so you're gonna have physical health or lack thereof because you have a brain you have mental health or lack thereof Um, and I wouldn't even say it's lack thereof I would say that we all just need a recharge whether it's our physical health or our mental health yeah Um, so everyone has regardless of if you want to acknowledge accept it or admit it everyone has had an issue with their mental health at some point or another just like you've you're not going to have a 100% perfect physical health Um, and it doesn't have to be something drastic like I have you know a debilitating disease it could just be something like I have high cholesterol that still deserves attention you don't have to have 
a debilitating mental illness just to go see a therapist. You can just want a refresher or you could just want some guidance on how to redirect yourself or better take care of yourself. I think people really see therapy as like a last resort and things have to be, you have to be in the bottom of the bottom to right. push yourself. You don't need to, you, you absolutely can be. And I don't fault people for waiting until things kind of hit rock bottom to pay attention to their mental health, but it doesn't have to get to rock bottom in order for you to just say, you know what, I think I want to talk to someone and just have someone who doesn't know anything about me right. listen to my problems the way I see them. Right. So you know what? That leads me to the next question. So do you think it can be prevented, mental health problems? I think that how we navigate the darker times mm -hmm. can be prevented systemically. I don't think that given kind of the world that we live in i think there's a lot of societal things contributing to mental health problems or people having issues with mental health for example the pandemic everyone yes. had to readjust when that <laughs> happened yes. because we were all thrown into totally. being in our house being in the space that we call home yes with the people that we live with or by ourselves for people who live by themselves it was isolating for people who live with a big family it was probably maddening because now you have to <laughs> exist in a space 24 7 for people who have kids being a parent working trying to work and then also being a part-time teacher because you have to you know help your kid do remote learning we've all hit pretty hard times i think that you know gen x uh millennials gen z we're all dealing with some stuff um that deserves some attention so i think that the generations that we live in are kind of indicative of the problems that we'll deal with and that can definitely be prevented on a sy systemic issue okay. having feelings overall or having um feeling sad or feeling down or having a, a day of depression or having those kind of symptoms might not be preventable in the sense that we are not going to prevent ourselves from having feelings we're going to have feelings some of the issues the way that they're handled definitely a systemic issue like the pandemic like um i recently saw a post on linkedin about how social media how kind of like dangerous social media is for young brains especially certain types yeah. of social media and the con the type of content that you're consuming on social media all those things contribute to it mm -hmm. and i definitely do think that when it comes to self-esteem um what we call clinically body dysmorphia all those are exacerbated by what we consume externally I agree. Yes. Wow. So what are the some of the challenges most people face if they don't seek therapy? Isolation. When you mm. feel like, when you don't push yourself to talk to someone, um, we're real, humans are really good at avoiding the stuff that doesn't <laughs> feel good. Yeah. So we retreat into ourselves and act like everything's okay when under the surface we know that things are bubbling up and once they come to the surface it's not going to be as easy as we are kind of painting that picture of um i think that just being able to admit even if you don't have a specific in in when i meet with someone for a first session we'll act mm -hmm. like what's the presenting problem sure. i think that a lot of people have an idea that you have to have a very tangible specific presenting problem and that is the case for a lot of people that people want to work on their anxiety but more so they want to work on their avoidance because 
they build up and they build up a lot of anxiety in the anticipation of having to do something or having to have a conversation that they never get around to it. So better to avoid than to communicate in a way that's going to make me uncomfortable. All those things are regular human emotions. And I think people really try to act like that's not part of the equation when we're struggling. So if we just sleep it under the rug, we don't have to pay attention to it. Out of sight, out of mind, ignorance mm -hmm. is bliss. Let's just forget about it. As opposed to acknowledging and accepting that, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. It might not be, it might not lead up to a disorder in the sense where, you know, for a disorder, you have to meet certain criteria, symptomatic criteria. Right. Um, it doesn't have to lead up to a disorder for you to just want to get help. Um, especially in my line of work, I work primarily with OCD and OCD related disorders. So um, that is kind of like my expertise, my niche. I definitely work with the disorder itself. So in order to be labeled as someone with obsessive compulsive disorder, you have to meet certain markers, certain criteria. You can still have those symptoms without meeting the full criteria. So I want people to understand that you don't have to have the label specifically. You can still have some of those symptoms and want to seek help or want to get some guidance on it. Going back to that, it doesn't have to hit rock bottom for you to just get some clarity on where you might want to take things or where you might want to change your perspective. Right. So what do you think if um, the therapy is not helping someone? Uh, do you think they, uh, what can they do? And do they resort to medications? I would say that medications, this is where we get kind of like, what's, what's uh, the better way of handling things? Do okay. we medicate or do we therapize? Right. I would say that not both don't work for everybody. Um, specifically therapy, I think you have to find the right person. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a shopping game. Sometimes okay. you're going to have to shop around for the right person. Mm -hmm. um, for therapists, it doesn't mean that you are a bad therapist or um, incompetent. It just means that you're not going to work out for everybody. And that's mm -hmm. totally okay. If you're for everybody, that might be a little bit of a problem because you shouldn't really be for everybody. As a therapist, I don't have, I can't treat everything. I, I don't have all the skills. I have skills. I don't have all the skills. I'm just a human being. So I have to be real about who fits for me and my expertise. And I have to be real with the client about who might be better fit to help you. If I feel like I'm a good fit to help you, of course, I'm going to offer you sessions and say, let's you know see where this takes us and let's continue seeing each other until maybe we realize that seeing each other isn't useful anymore or maybe we don't need to see each other as often but the reality is that as a person who's seeking therapy you need to find someone who vibes with you who has expertise on what you are concerned with what you want to change what you want to work on and you just have a good rapport overall you can like a therapist but it doesn't mean that you have good rapport with them so mm -hmm. if you're looking to seek therapy you have to be open to shopping around because you'll be really lucky if you find that first therapist and they're good with you it might right. not happen so oh expanding your view to i have to find if i want this to work i have to find someone who is aligned with me that i know they're a good fit and the same thing for it's vice versa for therapists and for people who are seeking therapy you have to find someone 
who works for you. Now, medication, some people really, really benefit from medication and some people might be on medication long-term where it's part of their lifestyle and they accept it and that's okay. And they have a good psychiatrist or a good provider that is able to kind of adjust their medications based on their needs. Do I think that medication is the end all be all? Absolutely not. Because I know of plenty of people who I've worked with who try medications, they don't necessarily help um, or try medications and they get worse or try medications and nothing changes and the therapy is what's kind of holding them up. Ideally, we want to have a good uh, dosage of medication and therapy so that we can have a good kind of treatment plan. Sometimes people are do not need medication. Sometimes people do. Sometimes people need a specific type of therapy. They might need more talk therapy or generalized therapy. It really depends on the specific problem. But I think that as a, as like an industry, we really do focus on medicate, medicate, medicate. And then we realize that it doesn't work. So then we go back to the drawing board and medicate, medicate, medicate. And then all we're doing is putting a bandage on the problem rather than actually looking for something that is um, not just medication, but also therapeutically driven. Right. Uh, makes sense. <laughs> so describe a therapy session with you. If you are, so if you're seeking therapy with me for OCD specifically, I'll go with my, my expertise. If you're seeking therapy with me for OCD, my first session is going to look like, I got to get to know you. I have to go through what I think are the important um, markers to have and the important information to have so I can build a full profile. Because after that first session, I want to be able to give you an answer. I want to be able to say, I think based on the symptoms that you're describing, you have this, that, or the third, OCD or anxiety or um Another part of what is in the OCD family is skin picking. It's called excoriation or dermatillomania. Mm. Um, trichotillomania is compulsive hair pulling, um, hoarding. All those things are specific diagnoses that at the end of our first session, we, I want to be able to have, I want to have asked you as a client a bunch of questions to get a clearer picture of what is specifically the thing that you want to improve. Sometimes we might leave that first session with, needing more information and that's absolutely fine but in that first session i'm going to ask you about your family i'm going to ask you about your living situation i'm going to ask you about who is in your support circle if you had a problem if if it was a life or death issue right now who are you going to to help you out Um, all the questions that kind of make up who you are without looking so deep into the concern that you want to pay attention to I want to look at who you are as a full person and then kind of get into the specific questions of okay this is the concern you have tell me how you're feeling or what you're doing or what your thought process is based on this concern and then we might get we most likely will get a diagnosis at the end of that first session we might need to meet again in our second session for a follow-up intake or follow-up initial session and then for the consecutive sessions after that for treating OCD I'm leaning into psychoeducation so I'm giving you a full breakdown of what the diagnosis is OCD and really any other diagnosis that I'm treating whether it's generalized anxiety disorder depression um, post-traumatic stress disorder 
uh, the anything that's related to OCD. So like I was saying, the dermatillomania, trichotillomania, um, hoarding, stuff like that. I want to give you a full crash course into what is going on in your brain. Not just what you're feeling, because I can't tell you what you're feeling. You have to tell me what you're feeling. But what is going on in your brain, what the treatment is that we're going to do, how we're going to do it, why we're going to do it, because I can't help, I can't force someone to buy into a process that they have no information about. So ethically, the best thing to do as a therapist is if you're going to administer a treatment for someone, you have to tell them why you're doing it and you have to give them an informational, which might not seem useful to people because a lot of people come into therapy and they just want the tips, they just want the skills. And you kind of, as a therapist, you kind of have to bring them back down to, to understand I absolutely can walk you through these skills, but it would be unethical for me to walk you through these skills without building that foundation. Okay. Right. So how would you advise someone um, to approach a person about going to therapy for their mental health? Yeah. I would say talk first if you are apprehensive or if you especially come from um, a background or an upbringing or, or a culture that likes to, that doesn't put a lot of stock in mental health or a lot of us have grown up with the idea that therapy is only for people who are at their worst, hitting yes. rock bottom, mm -hmm. the crazy people, which is in a, which is a farce. It's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you come from that type of background, you have to build a resource or a network that helps you to understand therapy is not for therapy is not just for people who are at their wits end or who are at that last resort it's for people who just need someone to listen to them and someone to help guide them in the right direction and teach them how to take better care of yourself so if you can link up with a friend or a family member who does not have that stigma of therapy and kind of understands that this is a this is a resource this is a tool to have this is not a um sentence where you have to admit that you're out of your mind or you're bonkers or any any buzzwords that we can come up with that <laughs> people and the issues that they're dealing with find a resource or a person or someone in your support circle who you can who allows for that destigmatization and who can really you can really kind of find support in to say I want you to I want to be encouraged that this is the right move to make for me that doesn't mean that you have to tell everybody in your support circle or in your life that you're thinking about seeking therapy because you might be apprehensive to that just because you know that the people in your support circle are, yeah. might be a little bit judgmental yeah. of that yeah. you can yeah. find someone and I we all know like we have people I'm sure we all have people in our families that are like therapy yeah. is for crazy people yes. and I'm like, yes. sure if that's what you think sure Right. Um, but just being able to find someone networking or finding someone in your support circle who shares that same value as you is going to encourage you to actually take that step. Because a lot of people get stuck in that phase of making taking the step to actually reach out to a therapist, which is scary in itself. The yeah. first step is scary. The next step is scary. The whole process is kind of intimidating and daunting, but it's pretty worth it. So if you can find one person who is encouraging, who gives you words of support and empowerment, that is a great resource to have. Um, and then the next step is doing your own research or reaching out to someone who can help you do research. Um, as much as social media is negative, there's, as with everything, a lot of stuff is negative and it comes with positive stuff. Mm -hmm. um, if you can just go on Instagram, if you're someone who's, who's a social media buff and you go on Instagram, there are so many pages of therapists or counselors and resources that you can find 
if you're going to scroll on anything, let it be something, scroll on something that is going to actually be useful for your health yes. and not something that's going to further reinforce your insecurities and yes. all the kind of like negative mm-hmm. thoughts that are going through your head. Yeah. Yes. Question. Just to have a clear definition. What is OCD? Absolutely. So OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder. An obsessive compulsive disorder has a couple of specific criteria in order for you to say, in order for a clinician to say you have obsessive compulsive disorder. And that is, do you have intrusive thoughts, urges, doubts, or images? What are they? And we can get into kind of specifics, different types of OCD or the different faces that OCD can wear. The first one is, do you have intrusive thoughts, urges, doubts, or images that you experience as intrusive, unwanted, and unpleasant? Everybody has intrusive thoughts. Our brains do anything, stuff that we don't ask it to do, stuff that we force it to do, and stuff that we don't ask it to do. So whether or not people want to acknowledge it, we every single person on this planet has had an intrusive thought. We all have had a thought that we did not will, we did not ask it to come, it just happened, and it might have scared the shit out of us. Yes. And then <laughs> yes. we let it go. Absolutely. Yes. I've, we all have it. You don't have to have obsessive compulsive disorder yes, to have an intrusive thought. An intrusive thought is an intrusive thought is an intrusive thought. But in order for it to be a disorder, we say, do you have obsessions? Those intrusive thoughts, urges, doubts, images that you experience as intrusive, unwanted, and unpleasant. Have you been, do you do or think things in response to those intrusive thoughts with the intent of immediately self-soothing or bringing yourself down from a heightened state of anxiety, distress, discomfort, tension? If the answer is yes to those, has it been happening in the last 30 days? In the last 30 days, has it been happening for at least an hour per day? Does it cause you distress? And does it cause some type of functional impairment, a functional impairment being, does it inhibit your work? Does it inhibit your social life? Does it inhibit your personal, platonic, or romantic relationships? Does it inhibit your leisure time? Anything that you feel is an impact to your functioning not doesn't mean that you cannot function at all. It just means that it has some type of impact on your functioning and you recognize it and you acknowledge that it is, it is a problem. That's the definition of obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, what the intrusive thoughts are can really range. It can be absolutely anything. We probably, everybody that is not fully versed in OCD, we hear it branded as the contamination and arranging. So I need to be clean and I need to have everything looking just right or just perfect. Right. Absolutely (laughs) parts of OCD. Not saying that it's not, but it's not limited to that. Have you ever had an intrusive thought like if you're driving or if you take public transportation, I'll use if you're driving. If you're driving, do you ever think, damn, I could, if I wanted to, I could cut this wheel and cause a huge accident. Mm. That's an intrusive thought. You can have it without having OCD. I've had that intrusive thought many times. A lot, most people have had that. Most drivers have had that intrusive Mm -hmm. thought. I agree. But if your brain is fixated on it and latching onto it, and now you feel like you need to do or think something in order to make that thought go away, now we're looking at, are you engaging with this thought compulsively? Because if you are, that might be the theme that your mind is fixated on also um, applicable to have you ever been like cutting vegetables while cooking and you're holding a knife or if you're like cutting up chicken or beef or whatever meats and you're holding a knife and you're like damn I could what's stopping me from just taking this knife and cutting myself I could do it I wouldn't 
but I could. It's possible. Mm -hmm. That's also an intrusive thought. Another type of what we would categorize as harm OCD, in which people are worried about the prospect of harming themselves or harming others. Not to be confused with self-harm overall, where you have the intent to harm yourself. It is the fear of harming yourself, the fear of doing something that is not your value, is not your intent. So OCD is being scared of something that is not aligned with your values, but your brain can't differentiate between it just being a thought or it being reality. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Very. Yes. It's pretty <laughs> trippy because a lot of people, I, I and I see it so much on TikTok now, like this, there's this new craze of like my intrusive thoughts, my intrusive thoughts. And I'm really glad that people are. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. absolutely. I've seen it. If you just like go into TikTok and put intrusive thoughts, I'm sure thousands of videos wow. will come up. But I'm glad people are talking about it because wow. everyone does have intrusive thoughts. We've all had a thought that we're like, why did my brain do that? Like, right. I didn't ask for that. It just did it on its own. And I didn't really like that. Totally normal, totally human. You have a brain, your brain's doing it. But with OCD, OCD attaches much more meaning to the thing that that inappropriate or intrusive or unwanted thought that we're having. And our brain now goes into fight or flight mode. So now we're trying to differentiate between is this something that I need to protect myself from or not? And if it's OCD, your brain is always convincing you that the thought is inherently bad or you're going to actually do the thought. So you need to protect yourself from it. So, wow. Um, even with the intrusive thing, you said TikTok, they have it. Yep. So what do you think our world will look like in five years? I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> I'm worried. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think there's a lot of value in social media, even TikTok. I know that, you know, the younger generation and even people, people in our generation are take it to another level. Um, I think that there's a lot of useful information out there because it's quick and easy access to information. So the information that is valid and vetted is good information, but there's so much room for disinformation that it's really hard to weed through that to say, okay, this is good information versus this is bad information. If you have social media, as long as we have social media, we are going to have disinformation. Unfortunately, that's just the way the world works. So I really see this as social media is not going to go anywhere. It's just going to keep progressing and reinventing itself as it has when I was a kid. I grew up on like MySpace. We were coding as yeah. kids. Mm -hmm. We were copying and pasting the, the backgrounds and the codes. And if you had one letter off from that MySpace background, the whole code would show itself. So I remember when it was like, what it was like then to now where it's just you, granted, I give it to content creators because content creation is not easy. Editing those videos is a hell of a job. So all the more power to you, but it's just <laughs> going to change from here to where it's going to be more accessible, quicker access to it. Um, more people will have access to it, which is great because everybody should have access to information. But we have to be careful how we're consuming information and we have to be aware of what's good information versus what's bad information. So really the responsibility is on us as consumers to say, this is something that looks like disinformation. This is is the bad news and this looks like something more reputable. Let me make, let me check my resources because you can have, we have all this information at our fingertips, but not all of it is good. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Question. It's a sidewalk question. I know someone who actually, um, like, before they leave their house, they have to touch the light switch like a hundred times. 
touch the doorknob a hundred times. You know, they have to walk back and forth before they even get out of their door. Mm-hmm. Is that OCD? Absolutely could be. I would, obviously, you need we need more information. So kind of like, does it hit all those markers that I discussed? Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's repetitive behaviors like that, it is worth looking at what is going on in my brain that I feel like, or what thoughts am I having at the time that I'm doing this behavior that I feel like I can't move away from Mm. unless I do it the number of times or how long my brain is telling me to do so. Usually it's coming from a fear because that's really what obsessions are is it's a core fear uh-huh. if it if going back to the harm stuff like cutting yourself with a knife if you're cooking or uh-huh. driving off of cutting the wheel and causing an accident or driving off of a bridge something like that the core fear is i don't like these thoughts because i don't want to do this i don't want to harm i don't value harming myself i value my life and i don't want to cause an accident i don't want to hurt other people and therefore because i'm having this thought i'm so scared that since this thought exists it's going to convince me to do it so i have to really try to prevent it if someone's doing something with light switches usually there's a core fear under there that's attached to something else that's causing them to say it is really hard for me to just move away from it at time mm. 50 that I've switched on the lights. I got to get to time 100. It also doesn't feel right. So people feel like that. It's like a just right feeling. If I do it the right way, I can finally move away from it. Or if I do it the amount of times that my brain is telling me, then I can move away from it. And underlying all of that, aside from it being a core fear, is really the fear of uncertainty. This is mm. one of, this is the biggest part of OCD is that OCD is fed by trying to chase certainty. When that person switches on, switches on and off those light switches Mm -hmm. 10 times, their brain is saying that last time you did it, we're not really sure if you turned off the light. So let's just try again. Let's just make Mm -hmm. sure just in case it's not hurting anybody. We're not holding up traffic. We're not, you know, causing a, a commotion outside publicly. We're just touching the light switches. Yeah, I'm making you miserable because now you're late to work because you had to <laughs> touch the light switches a bunch of times, but right. who are we really hurting is kind of the script that right. OCD gets to. Even with the examples that I gave about harm, driving, cooking, using using a knife, the fear is I am not 100% sold that I will not do this or that I don't have the urge to do this. So I need to do or think things in order to remind myself this is not my value. I actually don't want to hurt myself. I actually don't want to cut the wheel and drive off of a bridge or cause an accident. I actually don't want to take that knife and cut myself while I'm cutting vegetables. So what your brain is doing is it's running laps. Your, your brain is running laps around itself trying to chase certainty and mm. OCD still will not allow you to deal with the fact that nothing is 100% certain. Mm-hmm. We know that things can be probable. If your value is not to harm yourself or harm others, the probability is that you're not going to just drive off of a bridge. Is it possible? Absolutely, because all things are possible to all people. Is it probable? Maybe not. But your brain doesn't care about, your OCD doesn't care about any of that stuff. It wants to get the answer, and it wants to keep nipping and nipping and nipping until you give it the answer. But even if it's the right answer, even if it's the scientific answer, OCD doesn't give a shit. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, I know that mathematicians said that two plus two equals four, but who are they? They're just Mm -hmm. some guys from like hundreds of years ago. Why are we gonna listen to them? We know that if you take away that plus sign, two plus two equals 22. And you're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But it's really hard to unconvince yourself of that when your brain is telling you, well, what if you're right and they're wrong? Right. 
Wow. Wow, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so, um, being that you're a therapist, um, what's one piece of advice you can give to someone who might be afraid to contact you? Make multiple. Reach out to more than one. Don't just reach out. Wait, your Wi Fi. The optimum? <laughs> You're breaking up. You just froze. You just froze. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. And that was an excellent question. Yes. Are we still there, Brianna? I can hear you. Can you hear yeah, me? Okay, yeah, okay. So you have to repeat that answer again because you kind of froze. Okay. You're frozen right now. No problem. I'm so, um, can you yep. hear me this? Okay, good, good. Sorry, it's my laptop. I'm calling them tomorrow. <laughs> um, so what I was saying is do apprehensive to actually reaching out and contacting someone. Build, build a list of who looks like they might vibe with you and just take it first. Just build of perspective therapists that you want to reach out to and take that step first because if you put all your eggs in one basket and say I'm going to contact this therapist they might not have availability they might not be the person for you and then you're going to be disappointed that it didn't work out so you have to really broaden your resources and give yourself the chance to reach out to multiple people start with just building a list of three to five therapists that look like possible good therapists and then take it week by week. If you're in a more dire situation where you feel like you need to do it immediately, try to reach out in good time. But if reaching out to everybody is too overwhelming to you, build a list first and then contact one therapist a week until you can actually get in and get an appointment. That's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So what are the three books that you recommend to our audience? The three books. Can I be totally honest? I am not a reader of self-help stuff or oh, like okay. in my industry stuff not okay. because it's not great I, I there are so many good books um out there especially for OCD a lot of like workbooks that help you kind of transition into therapy especially if you're not that's a, that's a, another good thing to do is if you're not ready to see a therapist just yet get some of those self-help workbooks okay. so that you can see what is the work am I willing to do the work that this requires Right. Mm. That's another uh, good kind of like transition into possibly going into therapy. I don't read self-help books. I'm a thriller, horror, mystery person (laughs) when I read. So unfortunately, I came to this this podcast with no recommendations off the top of my head. I can tell you what I'm reading right now. But I am like, that is one thing where I'm like really good at at separating work and uh, work-life balance is Mm -hmm. the books that I read are purely fiction because I like a good... I'm a mystery person. I'm like okay. the true crime. I'm, as most millennial okay. women probably are. Okay. <laughs> I'm a true crime buff. I'm watching all the murder shows. All of them are centered around women. So it's like a catch-22 because we're consuming all this like violence against women, but it's still yeah. so addicting. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my, my I can give you a list of the mystery books I've read <laughs> of this year. But if you if you are looking for self help books, I would say honestly just going to any bookstore, going to the psychology section, and looking for your specific um, books. I actually did pick up two workbooks 
um, at Barnes & Noble's last week um, Mm. around a type of therapy called DBT, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, which is really good for people with borderline personality disorder and uh, depression. It's really good for emotional regulation. Um, I bought that for myself because it has a lot of good worksheets and I want to use them in session. So that's me introducing nice. myself to more self-help stuff. Right. Um, but I am a full mystery buff. So right now I'm reading uh, something called The Paris Apartment, if anyone out there is interested. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where can our listeners actually find you online to contact you to actually get help from you? Absolutely. So I have a counseling page. Um, it is called 718, literally the number, 718 yes. Bronx. Oh, it's the area codes for everything except Manhattan. No yes. hate to Manhattan, but 718 is the better area code. <laughs> uh, so 718 Counseling is my Instagram handle, and that is my counseling Instagram that you can reach out to me for. Um, just follow the content that I post. A lot of it is OCD, OCD and related anxiety disorders. Um, and you can reach out to me if you're looking for resources or referrals um, or just looking to get some encouragement getting into therapy. Um, that's where you can find me on social media. Wow. That you are amazing, Brianna. Thank you. You guys um, are amazing. I'm so glad I came here. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. I, um, let me see. Did we miss any questions with you? Um, I don't think so. I think that pretty much sums it up. OCD, okay, so. anxiety, mental health, therapy. Yeah. Okay. So... What, what are your like final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah. Um, like I said, find the right, vet your sources, especially mm-hmm. on social media, especially if it comes to stuff pertaining to your health, not just mental health, but also physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, vet your resources, look for pages that are reputable. Um, through even my Instagram page, my Instagram counseling page, you can find all the people that I've worked with at my previous employer my current employer that are absolutely fantastic therapists that have fantastic content that can give you good resources vet the pages you go to first information is the best weapon to have so if you're going to consume information make sure that you are actually doing your research that it's good information and not just some person who read the word ocd and decided to make a whole personality around it that is great advice, great, great advice. And I just want to thank you for being part of our platform and enlightening our listeners on mental health. And we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And don't be a stranger, okay? Absolutely. Good luck, guys. <laughs> Thanks for everything. Thank right. you. Bye. Novi Essentials wants to make your bath time a relaxing and rejuvenating routine with their handmade organic vegan essentials. Novi Essentials offers premium quality bar soaps and personal care products for daily use, as well as those mini staycations and home spa experiences. Finally, a product that is affordable and all natural. Start your experience today at NoviEssentials.com. That's NoviEssentials.com to learn more about their products and also sign up for their subscription service. Novi Essentials, creating your spa experience at home. Thank you for listening to The Snazzy Lifestyle with Keisha B and Tamisha Miller. Follow us at The Snazzy Lifestyle Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.